This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, May 10th. I'm Robert Bluey. And I'm Virginia Allen. On today's show, Rob talks with Brooke Rollins, a former member of the Trump administration and the president and CEO of the new America First Policy Institute. Rollins discusses her experience of working with President Donald Trump and what her new group aims to accomplish. We also read your letters to the editor and share a good news story about a Texas teacher who was honored by her community in a special way during Teacher Appreciation Week. Before we get to today's show, we want to tell you about another great Heritage Foundation podcast called Heritage Explains. Heritage Explains episodes are quick and easy to listen to because hosts Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher break down complex policy issues using stories, clips, and expert analysis. Recent Heritage Explains episodes dive into what you need to know about President Joe Biden's infrastructure plan, the real situation at our southern border, and what Biden's defense priorities should be. You can find all of the latest episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We even put the full episode on YouTube. Now stay tuned for today's show, coming up next. We are joined on the Daily Signal podcast today by Brooke Rollins, who is president and CEO of the new America First Policy Institute. Brooke, welcome back to the podcast. Well, what an honor to be with you and all of my great friends at the Heritage Foundation and all of your listeners. I I couldn't be more appreciative. Thank you so much, Rob. Well, it's been a couple of years since we've had you on the show, and you've certainly accomplished a lot in that time working for President Trump in the White House. We'll get to that in a bit, but I want to begin with your new organization, the America First Policy Institute. You've assembled some heavy hitters from the Trump administration to join you. And why don't you begin by telling us about your mission and some of the policy priorities that you have? Well, first and foremost, uh, the America First Policy Institute, AFPI, what we call ourselves is really a continuation, a, a fight, a collaboration, a movement that we really believe, well, frankly, begun decades ago with the founders of the Heritage Foundation, the founders of the Texas Public Policy Foundation, my old think tank, uh, National Review, Bill Buckley. I mean, we, we know the longtime history of the fight to, to, to keep America, America, the founding fathers' vision of liberty and freedom and opportunity. And so moving through, you know, all those years of, of, of that fight, and we know we're battling for the soul of the country, but then being part of the Trump administration over the last four years, I was there three of the four years, and to see the transformative, positive, extraordinary change in this country in terms of job numbers and, and decreasing poverty rates and the fight for school choice and Middle East peace really being a part of that effort firsthand and, and, and witnessing and being a part of history and a very transformative, disruptive leader in the West Wing and the Oval Office, the question became, as it looked as if we weren't going to stay for a second term, the question became, how do we keep that work moving forward? And the momentum that was garnered, you know, with, with the highest numbers of African-American support, of Hispanic support, of blue-collar support, for Rob, the issues that you and I have been working on and fighting for for so long. And the concept of the America First Policy Institute was born. And the idea that we could stay together as a team, we launched, um, I guess, about six weeks ago and had about 40, 45 of uh, my team and other teams from the White House 
who came alongside us, some from the Trump campaign, but also amazing patriots like Larry Kudlow and Rick Perry and Chad Wolf and John Ratcliffe and David Bernhardt and, you know, so many of the great leaders of the last four years who, again, wanted to stay in the fight and wanted to keep this work moving forward. So the concept was born and, and I was um, just given the great honor and blessing of of being asked to construct it and, and put it together and keep the teams um, moving forward. And, and so AFPI became official on March 1st of 2021. Well, as you said, these policies that you're working on really do put the American people first. And that's, of course, what made Donald Trump stand out as president. What are the most important things that you plan to do to not only defend the policy successes of the past four years, but also prepare for the future? That's right. And it's interesting. And you make, bring up a very good point. In in some respects, it is about defending what was accomplished in the last four years and, and making sure Americans understand that it wasn't more government that created the best economy, arguably in the history of our country, maybe in the history of the world, more jobs than people to fill them. I mean, this is, this is an amazing accomplishment. And that's important. And let's understand why that happened. But more importantly, this is not a two-year or a four-year play. This is a 100-year play. And organizing the America First Policy Institute around the governing concept of the American people are always first in everything that we do, that AFPI is truly the defender of the American dream, but also the American people. And so AFPI has 20 policy centers from the Center for, I won't go through all of them, but as an example, the Center for American Prosperity, chaired by Larry Kudlow, working to continue the concept of a free and flourishing economy being a necessity for any nation to prosper. The Center for the American Worker, you know, putting the concept of the American worker, not the international, you know, concepts and, and where it makes the most sense to put a manufacturing plants, et cetera, that putting the American worker first, putting America first, bringing back some of those devastated communities through the uh, the concepts of industry, putting opportunity first, the Center for Opportunity Now, so much of what we focused on in the last administration was how we bring prosperity to communities that had never had prosperity before. The Center for Education Opportunity, the continued fight for school choice and the expansion of, of charter schools, et cetera. The Center for the American Child, uh, Center for Immigration and Homeland Security, working on election integrity, uh, the Center for American Security, you know, the the hallmark, one of the great hallmarks of the last administration was bringing soldiers home for the first time while creating a safer world. Uh, Freedom First, the Center for Law and Justice, the Center for 1776 Patriotic Education, uh, American Values, the Second Amendment and Life, but continuing the fight for energy independence and the, and the cleanest environment well, in the world, without crushing our industry and our jobs. Now, that's just a, a quick sort of summary of some of the centers, but again, chaired by some of the key members of the last administration, but also some of the great conservative luminaries out there, and then building out the teams underneath each center to continue that work forward, not just in Washington, but arguably, maybe now, even more importantly, out in the state. That's fantastic to hear, Brooke. Uh, I'm curious, have you been in touch with President Trump, and what does he think of the work that AFPI is doing? Well, in fact, I was just with the president just yesterday uh, in Mar-a-Lago and was with him a couple of weeks before. You know, this is a 501c3. This is not 
This is not connected to any one person or personality. It really is an educational institute in the vein of Heritage Foundation to ensure that the concepts are thought of and analyzed and researched and then moved out into the narrative and, and to the American people. But there's no doubt that President Trump is so excited and so encouraged and invigorated that, that the fight continues. And whether or not he decides to stay in the public domain and whether or not he decides to, for a third time, run for president in a couple of years, that all remains to be determined. But this project and effort is a value add to what he accomplished in the White House, but I think he would even agree much more importantly for the next hundred years for this country. Brooke, I think it's so important, something that you said earlier, you know, listening to some of the things we hear coming out of the White House today from President Joe Biden, um, in, in some cases, it's it's frustrating to hear him take credit for some things that were started under, under President Trump and he inherited, uh, you know, obviously a strong foundation of an economy and, and so much of what was done with Operation Warp Speed on coronavirus. Uh, but particularly as he wants to tax and spend his way uh, to, 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 to new levels that we've never seen in this country before. What does your organization and what are some of the things that conservatives more broadly can be doing to not only push back on that, but make sure that the conservative message and those principles that we believe in are, are front and center in the minds of the American people? You know, one of my favorite quotes, and I didn't do a lot of media at the White House, but I did do some, and I'd walk out to what we call the sticks. Uh, where all the green tents are on the north side of the White House and, and talk to the media. And I remember a couple of times at one point, this may have been a couple of years ago, but at one point uh, we walked in and and uh, and walked out. And that, that day, I think the former president, Barack Obama, had said that, well, this great economy has nothing to do with Donald Trump. It has everything to do with what we did in the Obama administration and I'll never forget my friend Kelly and Conway said, wow, we finally found a Democrat that likes the Trump economy and it's Barack Obama. And I'll never forget that. You know, I think that no matter what we do as conservatives, we know our policies are righteous and we know that they work and we know that they they truly help those who need help the most. And and while we had long been defined as the, the movement for the, you know, rich, rich white people, in fact, we all know that's so different that who we're really fighting for, the single mom for Detroit, from Detroit, Michigan, who really just wants to start her own small business and get her kids in a decent school. That's who we're fighting for. And I think that that began to really break through with the unprecedented numbers of support from those communities uh, in the last election. And I think we have nowhere to go but up. It's so encouraging to me that finally I feel like we are breaking through this message that we are the defenders of the American dream and of all American people, but especially those amongst us who don't have as much as as, um, as they would wish to have, but want to fight and have a real chance for that. So we just have to continue the fight with the Heritage Foundation, with the America First Policy Institute. And, uh, and as the other side starts to try to continue to take credit, or not start to try to continue to take credit, to continue to take credit, we know what the answer is, and we just have to get that message out to the American people. We certainly do. And and on that point, uh, the Oversight Board just made its decision upholding Facebook's suspension of President Trump. He, of course, was so successful at using social media to bypass the biased media and speak directly to the American people. What did you learn from working uh, for him? And how can we as conservatives make sure that we are reaching beyond the base and continuing to find new audiences that might not hear about conservative policy ideas and how they will help those communities? 
I think that is truly one of the most important things we can do. And in fact, when I was in the White House, we really made it a significant priority to fly in into these inner cities and make our case, whether it was the president, the vice president, our team. Right before the pandemic hit, we had just begun a series called Opportunity Now Summit, and we had launched our first one in Charlotte, North Carolina, with the president and key members of our team keynoting. And it was so encouraging, Rob, because we, of course, put the invitation out to all of Greater Charlotte and all of North Carolina. Within a couple of hours, we were completely sold out, thousands of tickets. And what we found is that more than half of the people who ended up attending, again, before the pandemic shut down, the the, uh, ones that were going to come after in Detroit, San Antonio and Milwaukee and some other places, was that more than half of the attendees were not registered Republicans. They were local Democrat leaders. They were leaders in their communities who maybe were independent, but had maybe always leaned a certain way or had been told by their family to vote a certain way. And, and that, that story was beginning to really unfold that the greatest economy in the history of the world did not come from more government handouts. The generations of poverty that so many have experienced, it could be broken and it was being broken all across this great country. And frankly, with conservatives, you know, leading a lot of the states and hopefully back in the White House in just a couple of years, we'll continue that march toward unprecedented prosperity and unprecedented opportunity for all. Well, you've talked about uh, some of the work that you've done for President Trump while you were serving in the White House. You uh, were in both the Office of American Innovation and later you led the Domestic Policy Council. What are you most proud of accomplishing during your time in the Trump administration? I think that the transformative four years, and three of which I was a, a, a significant part of, that ultimately led to the greatest economy in the history of the world, where people could, for the first time, really have a shot at the American dream. What an amazing gift to have been a part of that and to have seen firsthand the change in in lives. And hope had replaced despair in communities across this country. And Rob, that's what we stand for. That's why we fight for what we fight for. And was telling someone yesterday that I had always had a real heart for mission work. And originally, my plan had been to potentially go to seminary and, and, and join a church. And what I realized is that the fight for those who need our help the most, to be able to scale that through the work of real public policy, through the conservative lens, through our founding father's vision of freedom and liberty and self-governance, from my perspective and, and what I wanted to do with my life, there's no better opportunity to truly affect and change lives for the better than through what we do, you and I and our teams at our different organizations. The scale of what we're able to achieve through fighting for America and the American dream, is it, it really is a dream. And um, I'm so proud of the work of this president, of our amazing vice president, Mike Pence, of our entire administration but proving out to the rest of the country and the world that what we believe really does work. And we really are the side that is fighting for those less fortunate. Brooke, you came to Washington after successfully leading the Texas Public Policy Foundation, really transforming that into a state-based policy organization that was a role model for, for so many other organizations across this great country. Now you're leading the America First Policy Institute. Why do think tanks and policy organizations like AFPI matter in today's Washington, in today's world? 
I saw firsthand in Texas, and thank you for those very kind words. I, I When I started at TPPF, I was a very young 28 or 29-year-old. I had really no idea what I was doing. I only had a couple of employees. I just finished working for Rick Perry, then the brand new governor of Texas. But it occurred to me almost immediately that, and having come from the governor's office, I saw firsthand that our elected officials almost never hear from anyone other than lobbyists representing special interests. And so I had a very unique perspective moving into the think tank world directly from a governor's office of a major state, because I realized the opportunity at hand. And that was to have, I'm using the term very loosely, but to have a lobbyist for freedom and for liberty and for people who can't represent themselves in the halls of governance. I never in a million years would have dreamed that it would have led me to the halls of the West Wing uh, or to the halls of, uh, you know, a national new think tank with some of the greatest thinkers and doers in the country. But even thinking back to then and understanding what was at stake, and if we are not leading the way, the big we, the Heritage Foundation, the America First Policy Institute, the Texas Public Policy Foundation, I sincerely believe that freedom is lost and that the great American experiment goes down in the history books as just that, an experiment that worked for a couple hundred years and then and then eventually fell, as every other great civilization has, to the to the claws of big government. And uh, and I think that we really are the guardians at the gate. Well, Brooke, I, I've got one more question for you, and I can't let you go without asking a Texas-specific question, as you, you talked about your your role there uh, at TPPF. As our economy recovers from coronavirus, and there's so many debates playing out in our country over things like critical race theory or election integrity, it seems that Texas has once again stepped in as a leader and a, and a model for, for other states to follow. What can we learn from the, from te- the Texas example as, uh, as we go forward? Well, it's interesting, Robin. Thank you for asking about my beloved Texas. I, I When I started at TPPF now 18, 19 years ago, the first couple of years was about building the organization and really focusing on Texas. What I began to realize a few years in, and of course, not surprisingly, the Obama administration then moved in soon after, is that the founding fathers' genius vision of the models of democracy, of the laboratories of democracy under the 10th Amendment, really couldn't be more prescient at that time, that that what we had to prove in Texas was not just about lifting people to the American dream in Texas, but if we could do it, whether it was education or criminal justice reform or deregulation or the environment or health care, if we could prove it in Texas, we could truly set a model for the country. And of course, again, never dreaming in a million years that what we built in Texas and other red states alongside us, but what we built then became the model for the Trump administration and the concept of getting rid of rid of 22 regulations for every new one that came in. I mean, you and I would have never thought that possible, but we had the disruptor in chief come down those escalator stairs uh, five or six years ago who was relentless in following through on, on promises like that. And we saw firsthand what it did. But back to Texas, the, the concept that in Texas or Florida, or Georgia, or, you know, any of these red states with governors that are relentless and convicted and, and, and really will not give up on the concept of fighting the swamp and special interests for the betterment of the people, that really played out in my home state. And I do think it had an, an incredible national effect and ultimately, in some ways, led to uh, the last administration. 
Well, we appreciate the the freedom loving governors who uh, who continue to pursue those policies today. So uh, let's uh, let's keep the pressure on them. We know a lot of great activity happens in our states, and particularly at a time when there isn't uh, a conservative in the White House, uh, that's where I think a lot of us will turn to for for optimism and and maybe um, our next and future leaders. Uh, Brooke, thank you so much for joining us. The new organization is called the America First Policy Institute. From all of us at the Heritage Foundation and Daily Signal, uh, we wish you the best and look forward to working with you. Oh, God bless you. Thank you so much, Rob. Never has it been more important for us to fight for America. Each day we see the penalties of progressive policies across our nation. Our elections are under assault. Our economic freedom is on the decline and our culture is turning its back on the founding principles that have made us the freest, most prosperous nation in history. That's why the Heritage Foundation developed a plan to take on the left and take back our country. The Citizen's Guide to Fight for America provides a series of heritage recommended action items delivered on a regular basis to your inbox. Make an impact in your community and in our country. Sign up for the Citizen's Guide at heritage.org slash citizens guide and join in the fight for America today. Thanks for sending us your letters to the editor. Each Monday, we feature our favorites on this show. Virginia, who's up first? In response to my Problematic Women podcast interview with pro-life activist Lila Rose about her new book, Fighting for Life, Mr. and Mrs. Smith write, What a wonderful interview of Lila Rose. Thank you for such quality work. We'll definitely be buying her book. And we look forward to further interviews like this one on the topic of abortion and choosing life. And in response to David Almasi's commentary piece, One Investor with One Share Can Call Out Corporate Leftism, Linda Prestari writes, I just read David Almasi's commentary on responding to woke corporations and cannot begin to express how much I appreciate this great idea. I am a conservative who has been appalled at the dramatic and speedy erosion of our rule of law, freedoms, rights, and economy under the Biden administration. I have felt helpless to do anything to change things, and the forces against people like me seem overwhelming. I plan on purchasing stock in companies such as Disney, as Almacy's article suggests. I will then make my voice heard. Maybe this small step can make a difference. Thank you for supporting conservative values and offering up ideas that we can use to fight against the enemies of this country. Your letter can be featured on next week's show, so send us an email at letters at dailysignal.com. Americans use firearms to defend themselves between 500,000 and 2 million times every year. But God forbid that my mother is ever faced with a scenario where she has to stop a threat to her life. But if she is, I hope politicians protected by professional armed security didn't strip her of the right to use the firearms she can handle most competently. To watch the rest of Heritage Expert Amy Swear's testimony on assault weapons before the House Judiciary Committee, head to the Heritage Foundation YouTube channel. There you'll find talks, events, and documentaries backed with the reputation of the nation's most broadly supported public policy research institute. Start watching now at heritage.org YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe and share. Virginia, you have a good news story to share with us today. Over to you. 
Thanks so much, Rob. Last week was Teacher Appreciation Week, and one teacher down in Texas was recognized in an extra special way. Wanda Smith dreamed about becoming a teacher for much of her life, but the road to earning her teaching degree was a long one. After she graduated from high school, Smith was prevented from attending college as she had planned to do. She explained why in a recent interview with the Today Show. My plans were to go straight into college, but then my mother got sick. And so those dreams had to be deferred, and I just got a job and started providing for the family. Smith worked as a custodian and bus monitor for the Brenham Independent School District in Texas in order to provide for her family. She eventually became a teaching assistant and decided she would start taking night classes to work towards earning her own degree to be a teacher. As Smith re-entered school at the age of 37, she says she was usually the oldest one in her classes. It took nearly a decade for her to earn her degree as she faced a number of challenges along the way, including losing her mother and both her sisters. But eventually, with the support of her husband and children, Smith graduated from Sam Houston State University in 2010. I got a diploma. I mean, somebody growing up in the projects that people counted out. I got a diploma. Wanda Smith is now a first grade teacher at Brenham Elementary, the very school where she used to work as a custodian. The students at staff at Brenham Elementary, as well as the local community, wanted to do something special to celebrate Mrs. Smith on Teacher Appreciation Day this year. They know her story and how hard she's worked to achieve her dreams. So they gathered together to surprise her with a couple very special honors. Her alma mater, Sam Houston State, surprised Smith with a small scholarship fund in her name for a student studying to be a teacher. The mayor of Brenham, Milton Tate Jr., officially declared Tuesday, May 4th, 2021, as Be the Best You Can Be, Wanda Smith Day. The phrase is one of Smith's favorites. And the elementary school also surprised Smith with a bench outside of the school inscribed with that same phrase, Be the Best You Can Be, and her name. As she stood with her husband and two of her grown children, Wanda Smith could not help but hold back tears. Smith's husband put it best when he said, to God be the glory. It was truly an unforgettable day for the Smith family. And to all of our teachers listening, we hope that you all were celebrated and honored last week. You make such an incredible difference in the lives of students. And so a huge thank you from The Daily Signal for all that you do. And a special thanks to Mrs. Smith, Virginia. That was uh, a tremendous story. Thank you for bringing it to us. Uh, my my two boys uh, have special teachers in their own lives, of course, and uh, we do thank them because we know what an important role they play in shaping the next generation of Americans. So thank you all. We're going to leave it there for today. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on the Ricochet Audio Network. All of our shows can be found at dailysignal.com slash podcasts. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to listen every weekday by adding the Daily Signal podcast as part of your Alexa flash briefing. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review and a five-star rating. It means a lot to us and helps us spread the word to other listeners. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Daily Signal and Facebook.com slash The Daily Signal News. Have a great week.
The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Rob Bluey and Virginia Allen. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.